Lord, as we open your word, as we look into the life of Abraham further, I pray, Lord, that your spirit would guide us into what this means to live by faith. Lord, please give us wisdom, and Lord, I pray that you give me the words to say. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you got your Bible this morning, Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to continue in our study of Abraham. I've entitled this message, The Evidence of Things Not Seen. The Evidence of Things Not Seen. Today we're going to start reading in verse 11, and we're going to go down to verse 19. Verse 11, by faith Sarah received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. The evidence of things not seen. This morning, we're not going to have any slides. I'm going to give everything to you. I'm going to try to make sure if you're trying to take notes, you've got what I'm speaking about. What we're going to look at today is four characteristics of real faith. Four characteristics of real faith, according to what we're looking at here in verses 11 down through verse 16. I think I wanted to cover all the way to 19. I don't think we'll have time. We're going to try to go 11 through 16, and what we're going to do is look at four characteristics of real faith. The first characteristic we're going to try to unpack this morning is that real faith believes God's promise even when it seems humanly impossible. Real faith believes God's promise even when it seems humanly impossible. We look at verse 11 here to see this unfold, and the text says, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Now, when we look at this text, one of the things that, you know, I've told you before, um, if you ever get scared because of textual criticism, it basically is an amazing topic. We have over 6,000 manuscripts. And so when we look at text, there's times it, it, it speaks to the authority and the sufficiency and the wonder of God's word. It should never be something that throws us. It ought to be something that 
encourages us to the mountain that we have. The NIV reads this different. It doesn't say by faith Sarah herself received power to conceive. It says by faith Abraham, even though he was past age. And Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who made who had made the promise. If you notice in the two different readings I gave you, the ESV points to the fact that Sarah herself received power to conceive. The NIV speaks to the fact that Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, wasn't able to become a father. Which one is it? That's a good question. When we look at this text, there's really good arguments for both sides. It, the argument goes like this. There's a mark in the Greek that makes it go from a nominative, which would point to Sarah, to another that would point to Abraham. And the thing that throws many scholars is that the word for conceive here is literally the word that speaks of the male side of all that takes place and the way God has designed it. And so when we look at this, it really isn't a, a major issue. It, the point being is that God works a miracle because Abraham was so old, he could no longer procreate, and Sarah was too old to conceive. And regardless of how you want to look at it, it was a perplexing situation when God promised them they would have a child. That's the point, really, that we're looking at here. Regardless of whether the NIV or the ESV or other translations are right or wrong here, it's indicating that this was, in all human eyesight, an impossibility. There's no way this is happening. And literally, we, that's what we're finding. I, I, I like this uh, background from Stephen Cole. Um, Abraham and Sarah were unable to conceive children. God promised them not only a son, but also nations of descendants. To underscore the promise, God changed his name from Abram, exalted father, to Abraham, father of a multitude. <laughs> Think about that. Then God promised, I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make nations of you and kings will come forth from you. He goes on, but the problem was not only were Abraham and Sarah unable to conceive children, also they were both past the time in life when anyone normally could conceive. This was a remarkable promise that God gave Abram. And one that, as I've mentioned before, Hebrews, the author, he speaks about this very specifically, but we know the background story if we've been to Sunday school, if we've read in Genesis. And we know the process of faith that Abram had to go through because we know he kept coming up with solutions, didn't he? Solutions that would make more sense to him as to how God could be faithful to his word when it was humanly impossible. But as we look in the scripture, with man it may be impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And that's what we're beginning to see here. We're seeing that God works based on his character and based on his promise and contrary to the way we think in our flesh. And he does it for his glory, and he does it by his power, 
And he guides his children to trust him and obey him in the process. Let's look at some verses that illustrate what's going on here. If you got a pen, I'm going to go through these fast. But if you want to turn, some of y'all are Bible drill experts. You might be able to keep up with me. Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, Paul speaks to this situation, and we get a little bit more of the understanding of what was impossible and what was going on. It says in Romans 4.18, And hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years older, when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Genesis 17 Verse 17, then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to him, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Genesis 18, it just keeps getting more wonderful because you see the way God works that is so in contrast to the way we think in our natural minds. In Genesis 18, 11 through 14, now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself saying, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. And isn't it fascinating that ultimately, as I heard, you know, growing up from many different people, God had the last laugh, didn't he? Because what was the name of Isaac? What did it mean? The name of Isaac means laughter. In Genesis 21.3, Abraham called the name of his son. He was born to him whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And so what do we see here? We learn right off the bat that they, by the grace of God, trusted in what was humanly impossible due to the promise of God. They trusted God. I was thinking about, you know, we could look at this and be distant from it and think, you know, that's an amazing story, but not really seek to make any application in our own life because of this whole challenge that we have of facing what we look at as humanly impossible and and trusting in the promises of God. I was thinking, I don't know about you, if we went around the room, we could compare notes about our own struggles, but sometimes where I find myself losing sight of God's truth and promises has to do in three categories. One category has to do with the world's economy versus God's economy. You may be like, what do you mean? Have you ever noticed that what the world values, God devalues? And what God devalues, the world values? If you ever lose sight of that, things will get really perplexing. I had a professor one time said, he said, you know, the price tags have changed in the kingdom of God. 
The price tags are completely opposite. What you thought was high price is now the cheapest. And what you thought the cheapest is now the highest price. Everything's opposite. When you lose sight of that, you can be tempted to be overwhelmed with human impossibility because you lose sight of how God works in his way, in his method, in his wisdom. I, I was thinking about what 1 John 2 says, where, where John says, don't love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And then he says, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And then he says something that I often lose sight of. I don't know about you. He says, and the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. If you lose sight of that promise, you're going to be in trouble and you're gonna be perplexed. Another area that I find myself often struggling when it comes to human impossibility and all things are possible with God is in the area of suffering and trials. Sometimes we find it almost impossible that the promises of God could be true when we go through pain. Can you relate with me? You find yourself memorizing verses or you find yourself stating truths to others but in the moment of pain, in the moment of circumstance, you're tempted to look at them as impossible. But what do we learn from the scripture? We learn the amazing promise, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And we often misunderstand, what does it mean all things work together for good? We have ways of making that into something the text is not saying. But in the next verse, he qualifies it. He says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. What are you going through right now that makes you tempted to think that it's humanly impossible? It's impossible for God to do what he said he would do. You see, when we look at it through the lens of the world and through the wisdom of the world, we look at pain and we look at suffering and we look at all the wickedness around us and it overwhelms us. But through the eyes of faith, we trust in the God whom all things are possible with, that God works his good, works not only for our good, but ultimately for his glory in the midst of our pain. James says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Whether it's the world economy and the way you can sometimes get sideways with what God values when the world devalues, or whether it's suffering, or maybe it's the future. If you look at the future only in light of the temporary, it can be overwhelming. You can be overwhelmed with what's gonna happen in 20 years. How are you gonna pay for this? How are you gonna deal with that? What's gonna happen to so-and-so? What am I gonna do if this happens? What am I gonna do if that happens? But when you get your eyes on the hope of the future from an eternal perspective, you begin to see that what is impossible to man, what is impossible to man's wisdom is possible through God's power. So when we look at this, we learn of a person, we learn of Sarah, we learn of Abraham that God gently brought along to trust his promise even when it didn't make sense 
And God is calling us to the same reality. God is calling us to live our life in the here and now, looking at his word and trusting what he says, regardless of what we're tempted to think and how we're humanly tempted and wired to process what we see with our eyes, trusting in God. But it's not only characterized real faith, that it believes God promise, God's promise even when it seems humanly impossible. But second of all, Real faith, trust in the character and promises of God. This just extends number one. Real faith, trust in the character and promises of God. Now notice what it says. ESV says, since she considered him faithful who had promised. ESV says, because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. Regardless of which one is true, God brought Abram and Sarah to the place where they could see that God was faithful to his promise. I love this. She considered, it's the idea of regarding, esteeming, counting, reckoning. Esteemed him faithful who had made the promise. As a Christian, we're only going to learn to live by faith as we take in the promises of God. We gotta know the promises of God. The promises of God are in his word. So many of the promises, some of the promises are, are past tense because they're true of what happened as a salvation. But so many of them deal with future fulfillments of the blessings we received at salvation. It's sort of like, uh, have you ever heard this phrase? It's like when you think of the blessings of God, we think of them in terms of already, but not yet. We already have received them, but then you could go, but not yet, not fully. It's like we've gotten the earnest money, but the full payment is on its way. And while we haven't taken part in the full payment, we have to know what the promises are if we're gonna live as Christians in this life. We have to know what they are because what's happening here is she considered him faithful who had promised. You gotta regard the character of God and you gotta regard the promises of God. So one of the ways that we are to look at the character of God is we have to explore what those characteristics are. And how do we do that? We gotta study God's word. We gotta study God's word because as we study the word of God, we come to know who God is. I'll give you an example. One of the ways that you can read scripture just devotionally is ask questions. So if you're reading in Psalms, you're reading in Ephesians, you're reading in Matthew, and you're going, what do I do when I read? I don't have my Bible devotional today. Well, you can ask questions. One question you can ask all the time as you read is, what do I learn about God? What do I learn about God in this passage? And regardless of where you read in the scripture, you can come up with characteristic after characteristic of who God is. God reveals his character in his word. So we can study that. Here, the specific characteristic that's mentioned is his faithfulness. He's trustworthy. He's trustworthy. Can you think back to uh, the simplicity of being a kid? And some of you are uh, simplistic kids right now. <laughs> you know what I mean? We got young kids, little bitty kids. And, and you know what? Think about when somebody you trust, whether it's a, your mom, whether it's your granddad, whether it's your father, whether it's a good friend, if they say something, 
Have you ever taken it as good as gold because you trusted the one who said it? I mean, think about something you looked forward to doing when you were young. Can you think about trips maybe your dad said, I'm going to take you on? Could you think about something that your parents would say would happen? I remember one time I had a C in conduct at Westview Elementary. And my parents said, if you improve your conduct grade, we're taking you to the Chattanooga Choo Choo for dinner. And I was so excited. They, they weren't thrilled when all I got was a B minus on the next report card. But they had to keep their promise. They kept their promise. And I knew they were going to take me. So the moment I looked at that report card and I saw a B minus, I was like, the Choo Choo is in my future. And I love the Choo Choo. It was like this, it, back in the day, it was this big ballroom with these big chandeliers and they'd bring out all the stewed tomatoes and apple butter and all these muffins. I loved it. I was like nine years old and I thought it was the greatest thing in the world. But you know what? I trusted the faithfulness and the trustworthiness of the ones who made the promise. Therefore, I lived as if it was going to come about. See, when we look at the promises of God, you have to first of all say to yourself, do I really believe that God is who he says he is in his word? It could be, isn't it interesting that we can't know someone without spending time with them? We can't come to know the Father without being in his word to understand who he is. You see, I wouldn't expect if I was growing up, when I believed everything my father told me was true and it was going to come to pass, I wouldn't expect you to come over and believe it the same way I did because I knew him. I walked with him. I lived with him. I was with him all the time. And I came to understand he was who he says he was. But I wouldn't expect anybody off the street to walk in and have the same type of situation. You see, there's so many different elements of this, but he's faithful in Abram, Sarah, by the grace of God, I think he's speaking to Abraham here personally. He believed in the promise of God because he knew that God was faithful. Listen to some of these passages. 1 Thessalonians 5, 24. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 3. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold Fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. That's good news. Hang on to it. Hang on to it. Unless you be tempted to think that it's not worth it, remember that the God who gave you his word is reliable. He's trustworthy. In Deuteronomy 32, verse 4, the rock, his work is perfect. For all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity. Just and upright is he. Faithful is he who promised. What have we learned about the promises of God in what we've been studying? Remember, even he mentions Abraham back in chapter 6. We looked at this in chapter 6, verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. And then we just looked at chapter 10, verse 23. For he who promised, the promises of God are backed up by his faithfulness. He keeps his word. And I love this because in the new covenant, what have we learned about the promises of God is that Jesus is our great high priest. 
Everything in the book of Hebrews is pointing to us to see that Jesus is better. He's supreme. And so what is he calling these people to understand? Now think about it. If you're tempted to abandon Christianity and go back to where you came from, what do you need to be reminded of? You need to be reminded of the supremacy of the one you're tempted to walk away from. And what does the author tell them? He tells them over and over of the faithfulness of God. Listen how Paul says it in 2 Corinthians 1.20. For all the promises of God, find their yes in him. All the promises of God are yes in Jesus Christ. What does it mean when we don't trust in God? What does a lack of trust reveal? A lack of trust reveals that we do not trust in the character of God. When you think about the character of God, do you remember when, when God gave the promise to Abraham, what did he do? This is remarkable. You want to talk about a God who keeps his word? In Genesis 17, he reveals himself in verse 1 and 2. And he says, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him Abram, and said to him, I am God Almighty. I love this. You know what he told him there? You know what that means? I am El Shaddai. Wow. I remember when we did the study on the names of God years ago in Sunday school, and what hit me and what grabbed me was that you know how we understand the character of God? As we walk in life, the children of Israel came to understand different dimensions of the names of God as they experienced the circumstances through which he would reveal his character. And Abram's at a place where he's tempted to think, man, this might be crazy. I'm 99 years old. That's not happening anymore with me. And what does God say? Abraham... Abram, I am El Shaddai. I am all sufficient. I am all powerful. I am gonna keep my word. So when we think about the promises of God, when we walk in unbelief, we have to see the implications. When we walk in unbelief, it is a disregard and it's a disbelief of who God says he was. But you know what? It's not only looking to the word of God to understand his character. I want you to think about something. You remember in the Old Testament how the children of Israel would often make ways of remembering the faithfulness of God in the past? You remember when they came over the Jordan River? And remember it was at flood stage, backed up almost a mile? And when they came through, you remember that first one that stepped in the water? Can you imagine stepping your foot in there in the water? And that, that water backed up and it allowed them to come across and when they came through, what did they do? Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan in the place where the feet of the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. Why? As a testimony to the faithfulness of God. I'll tell you what's crazy. is like uh, anybody else in here struggle with a short memory when it comes to God's goodness? Have you ever been frustrated at the children of Israel and then realized that you were way up worse than, off than they were? Have you ever thought about that? I, I, you know, the typical question is like, how in the world could these people be so hard-headed? How in the world could these people forget so easily? But let me ask you something. When it comes to walking by faith, do you lose sight of the goodness and the faithfulness of God in your life? 
I was thinking through stuff. It's gonna look different for you. I just jotted down some quickly. In the family he gave me, faithfulness. In moving my family when I was eight years old, that was a remarkable move of God's faithfulness. We were at a pizza hut in Panama City on vacation, and me and my sister were arguing about where we were gonna eat dinner, and we ran into a van that was a Woodland Park Baptist Church van, and they were looking for a pastor, and my dad was a pastor in Panama City, Florida. And God changed my life through that move to Chattanooga. I was eight years old. I was third grade. God's faithfulness as I changed schools my junior year in high school is a scary transition for me. God's faithfulness in the people God put in my life from coaches to teachers to seminary professors through the dark valley of my freshman year in college when all chaos was happening in my life, through my transition as I transferred my sophomore year to Bryan College, through the dark days of when I lived in Portland, Oregon, and I wasn't trusting God to bring me to Scottsboro and bring me a wife, which was miraculous. It's a joke. But uh, he brought me to Scottsboro, and, and, he, and, he, and he gave me Anne, and, and now I got this family the faithfulness of God. You know, and what's crazy is, and I know it's all gonna be different for all of us, God, and I testified to his faithfulness this morning, God brought me through the worst nightmare of my life when my dad was diagnosed with ALS. And he is faithful. I'm still standing here today. And I am living with joy, and I am living with perspective, and I am not overwhelmed with grief to the point where I can't carry on. The faithfulness of God and church family. God is faithful to his promise in the word. Amen? I think sometimes we need to say it that loud to ourselves, right? Because we need to be reminded that he's good. You see, we're looking at the, the family photo album. We're not going through a museum where we're just looking at these people in this museum. This is the family photo album. Why? Because these are the ones that have gone before us. And the God whose grace enabled them to trust him is the God who's faithful over the house as a faithful high priest who will enable you in the midst of the impossibilities of life to trust in his faithfulness according to his promise. That's good news. But I tell you what, what we're learning here as we walk through this is you can't live the Christian life with unbelief. How many people, and I've been there, They seek to go through Christianity only intellectually. I intellectually affirm that statement about the historicity of Jesus and his death on a cross. But when it comes to their personal life, there is no faith. There is no walk. There is no abiding. You see, we gotta look at this and we gotta say, wait a minute, what is he speaking of? What is he getting to? What is he showing us? So what do we see so far? Number one, Real faith believes God's promise even when it seems humanly impossible. Number two, real faith trusts in the character and promises of God. But number three, real faith sees the unseen spiritual realities. Look at this next verse in 13. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged they were strangers and exiles on the earth. He's speaking here of the fact that they never received the full promise, but they died in faith. They died in faith. They believed. 
but, but look how, but if they didn't receive the promises, how could they have seen them? Because faith is the evidence of things unseen. They saw them. They perceived them spiritually, and they greeted them from afar. They believed. They were looking forward to the promises of God. And having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, the first thing he says is, these all died in faith. That is a remarkable statement. If you want to think about anything you could long for in the future by the grace of God, that's the way to go out. They died in faith. They died in faith. Their last breath was hinging with full dependence on the God who would see them through the next step, on the God who would do what he said he would do. I tell you, this is remarkable. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised. I like this uh, explanation. It helped me out. Maybe it'll help you. Stephen Cole says, what did Abraham get in this life for the life of faith? He was uprooted from family and friends, never to see them again. If he had a house in Ur or Haran, it was his last. He lived the rest of his life in tents, moving from place to place. He lived to see Isaac, the son of the promise born. He lived 15 years after the birth of Jacob, but he didn't see any of Jacob's sons. He did not live long enough to even get a hint of the fulfillment of God's promise to multiply his descendants as the stars or the sand. The only piece of Canaan that he owned was a burial plot. One of the most important lessons in the school of faith is to learn that God's time is not our time. From Abraham's time frame, even though he lived for 175 years, God's promises failed. He died with one son and two grandsons, hardly an innumerable nation. But from God's time frame, the true children of Abraham, those who believe in Abraham's seed, number in the billions. From our limited time frame, certain events don't fit with God's promises. But from his time frame, he who promised is faithful. Amen? That's good stuff. That's good stuff. He, he, they, even... But having seen them, spiritually perceiving them, and greeting them from afar, from afar. Hebrews 11, 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And remember this, I thought about here in this passage, what does he say in verse 3? By faith we understand. We can't understand. We can't have spiritual sight apart from faith, apart from faith. So God's grace enabled Abraham to believe, and this confidence was so sure in what God would bring about. It gave him the confidence and wherewithal to live differently in a pagan world. I love it. It's, uh, you know, have you ever had your child get hurt or you're comforting someone else and you're looking at them and you're saying, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. Calm down. It's going to be okay. You know, sometimes you you go through life and you feel like those are just empty words because you're thinking, you don't know what I'm dealing with. You know, if you get diagnosed with something or you're facing something else and somebody says it's going to be okay, it's easy for you to look at them and say, easy for you to say. But you know what? Isn't it neat that Paul, when he was facing that preliminary hearing before the court of Nero, and he looked and he said, and the, and the Lord strengthened me and he speaks in that passage of the Lord delivering him. It's a beautiful text because one of the things we believe historically that happened after that, shortly thereafter, Paul died. 
You know what I love about it, though? Paul was confident that whether it would be this way or whether it be that way, he would be delivered. He would be delivered because God would be faithful to his promise. You see, when you go through life, when I go through life, if we can't see past the temporary, if we can't see past the things of this life, we will always be filled with anxiety. Anxiety will control us. Anxiety will be always at the door. Whatever we treasure the most, when it's at risk, we will be panicked. But when we look beyond, when we look beyond to the eternal, we can always rest ultimately everything is going to be okay. Because God has us by his word. The fourth one here, not only does real faith believe God's promise, even when it seems humanly impossible, not only does real faith trust in the character and promises of God, not only does real faith see the unseen spiritual realities, I love that, they trusted God's faithfulness so much, even though they hadn't received the full promise, they knew God would deliver. But fourthly, real faith lives as aliens and strangers longing for home. This, we, we touched on this last time because you remember he brought it up in verses eight through 10. What does it mean to be a stranger? Strange, foreign, unknown is coming from another country. <laughs> Our, th that was me walking in the market in Myanmar. Everybody's about five foot two standing on a box. And, and I was walking, and you know what's awesome about other cultures? As you can see, kid, isn't it fun? Kids, you know, they play the same way all over the world. It doesn't matter where you are. I mean, kids are, you know, grabbing someone's hat. They're running around. They're chasing each other. It's just amazing. But one thing that's so funny is that there's a universal language of cracking on people. And, and, and these people in the market were looking at me, and they were laughing at me because of how tall I was. And I thought it was hilarious. And I'd see them over in the corner pointing at me, and they would be giggling because I was walking through this market, and they thought I was Goliath or something. And I mean, everybody, I, one lady, one, I got a picture with a lady and I got on my knees and I was taller than she was. And she thought it was hilarious. I was a stranger. I didn't fit. It was clear I was just moving through. Could you be described a stranger in this world? Would the people of Scottsboro, Alabama that weren't Christians would they see you just as normal and just as rooted down as anybody else in this community? Or would you be looked at like a strange bird who had strange longings and strange desires and strange outlook? The next word is exiles. It's a stranger, not simply one who was passing through. Listen to this. But a foreigner who has settled down. Now listen to this. However briefly next to or among the native people, the native people. Remember, we looked at Philippians last week. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we live. You remember when we talked about Philippians, and Philippi was a Roman colony, and there were people who lived in Philippi who were Roman citizens, and even though they lived in Philippi, they occupied and they looked at life through the lens of a Roman. How are we to live as exiles in Scottsboro, Alabama, or wherever God puts us in this life? We're to live as citizens of heaven, and while we are here, and while we're living here, it's clear that this is not the landing spot. 
You see, you look at this and you say, wait a minute. First Peter 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, 1 Peter 2.11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Teenagers, I want to challenge you. You're either going to live your life settled down in this world or you're going to be an exile and a stranger in this world longing for the world to come. And the way you perceive it the way you look at the character and the promise of God will ultimately define whether this is home or that is home. And if this is home, it's gonna look a lot different because you live as if this is all there is. Genesis 24, Abraham's dealing with Isaac. It's right around the time of Isaac and Rebekah. And the servant's saying, hey, you may take your son back to the land from which you came. And at one point in that dialogue, he says, he says, but if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. Now look at this. He, he was a stranger. He was in exile. But listen, verse 14. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. When we look at this passage, if we back up to verse 13, look at verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. And then in verse 14, he keeps going for people who speak thus, like I'm a stranger, I'm an exile. Make it clear they are seeking a homeland if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, which would be what? Ur, Haran, Haran was on the journey. Ur was the beginning spot. They would have opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared for them a city. You remember when all through the Bible, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? It reminds you immediately of this passage. They were people of faith and God identifies himself as their God throughout the Bible. What do we see? What were, they, what were the characteristics of these people? They were speaking they were seeking, they were desiring. You mean they were speaking about being aliens and exiles and sojourners in this world? They were. I remember in Pilgrim's Progress, which is a great illustration of the life of the pilgrim in this world who's longing for a heavenly city. When they go to Vanity Fair, Vanity Fair is a city that's like, it's the city that epitomizes the way the world thinks immediately people looked at them and they thought, you don't look like us, you don't talk like us, you don't speak like us, you don't act like us, you don't purchase like us. Who are you and what are you doing here? That's often the way it feels as a Christian in this world. But they were speaking. They, they would testify and declare who they were. They, they had no problems with telling others, this is not my home. They were seeking. They were seeking. It reminds you of Jesus when he says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. They were desiring. It, it, I love this. It's present tense. Their lifestyle was proclaiming they were strangers and exiles, was seeking another city, was desiring a heavenly home. It was the way they lived their lives in the present tense. 
And over and over and over, they long for a better country. I love that word, better country, because I'm not going to have time today, but there's so many places in Hebrews that use the word better, and it goes back to the theme of the book. He is a better high priest. He is a better king. He is better everything. And what were they looking for? They were looking for a better country, a better homeland. I love this because the author is reminding these precious readers, these precious audience, look, are you tempted to go back? Are you tempted to go back to Judaism? Well, look at the people who've come before you. These are Jewish people. These are the, this is their, 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 their patriarchs. These are the people they revere. And what does he say about them? He wants them to understand all of them were justified by faith, not by works. All of them, ultimately, when given a choice to go back, they didn't go back. They kept going forward. You see the, you see the relationship to what he's writing? Don't go back. Don't go back to Judaism. Don't go back to Ur. Don't go back to Haran. Don't go back. You've got a taste now through the goodness of God, through the promises of his new covenant to see a far greater reality. Don't go back. Keep looking forward and keep moving by faith. Keep looking ahead. Keep going. As we come to the end here, we'll pick up where we are next time. I, I, I want to just hit you, hit, hit, just remind you of a few things. You know, what is the land that God is giving us hope for? What is the city that God's calling us to? Because God revealed to these people the reality of so much more than just the promised land on this earth. That wasn't what they wanted. That wasn't what they were going for. They were going for something greater. But I want you to, Tommy read a couple of these earlier. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, will take you to myself, that where I am you all may also be. I hath not seen, ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Revelation 21.1, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. First Peter 1, when he talks about the blessings we have, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Over and over and over, the promises of a better land. Are we gonna live putting our roots down here as if this is all that there is? Or by God's grace, are we gonna look and put our hope and our trust in the promises of God that lead us to a future focus? Tips for pilgrims as we close. Tips for pilgrims. First one, I think we need to pray for a life of faith that ends in death in faith. That would be a great prayer request. We need to pray that God would, we would see this realized in our life. The next thing we need to do, I believe, is read his word. Read his word. 
meditate on his word because not only do we need to dwell on the promises of God, if those promises are literally going to be fuel for our life of faith, to stand on the promises of God when we go through all kinds of stuff, but not only will the word enable us to be familiar with the promises of God, the word of God will build our faith. What does Romans say? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. If you're here today and you're like, look, I'm on empty. I don't have any faith. Faith is not some magical thing you stir up in yourself. Faith is a gift of God. Faith is something only God can give. If you're out of it today, run to his word because it's through the word of God the Holy Spirit produces faith. So as you dwell on the things of God, what begins to happen is you're like, God, I'm focused on the temporary. I'm focused on anxiety. I'm focused on all the temporal. I'm focused on the future only as it relates to this world. Oh God, what will I do? Get in his word, pray and ask God to give you the ability to see things as he wants you to see. And don't be surprised when you go, I don't know how, but I'm trusting God. If you're his, he produces faith through his word. You keep going here. What's the next thing? You, you pray for it. You read his word. You dwell on it. God's grace enables it. Now you seek to active, actively apply life to his perspective. When you're faced with something that is hard, somebody irritates you, you're faced with a circumstance you don't like, you're faced with something that's tempting you to worry like nothing before, you're faced with heartache, you're faced with whatever. I want you to now go to the word and go to the Lord and ask, how do the promises of God apply to this situation and how I am currently seeing these things? Because what do we need? We need to have a worldview that is, is built on the promises of God. So when we go through heartache, when we go through circumstances, when we go through trial, we don't look at these things just through the lens of the world. We see them through the promises of God. And finally, we pray our heart would be towards his promises. I wanna finish with an illustration that I read from another, heard from another preacher and it was come out of Randy Alcorn wrote a book on heaven. And at the very beginning of the book, he, he mentions a lady named Florence Chadwick. Florence Chadwick was a remarkable swimmer. She swam the English Channel both ways. And she had a goal to swim uh, in the waters of the Pacific Ocean off of Catalina Island all the way to the shore of mainland California. And she had this goal, and she knew she could achieve it. And she uh, jumped out, you know, she started, and, and she swam for hour after hour after hour after hour after hour. And she started to beg. She started to get overwhelmed. It was foggy. It was chilly. She could barely see even the boats next to her. 15 hours of swimming. She begged to be taken out of the water along the way. Her mother was begging her to keep going. She's physically, emotionally exhausted. She stopped swimming, was pulled out. Alcorn says it wasn't until she was on the boat that she discovered the shore was less than half a mile away. At a news conference the next day, she said, all I could see was the fog. I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. Consider her words, Alcorn says. I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. 
he goes on, for believers, that shore is Jesus and being with him in the place that he promised to prepare for us where we will live with him forever. The shore we should look for is that of the new earth. If we can see through the fog and picture our eternal home in our mind's eye, it will comfort and energize us. If you're weary and you don't know how to keep going, look to the shore. And by, through the eyes of faith, those that have gone before us, they kept their eyes on the shore. So this morning, real faith believes God's promise even when it seems humanly impossible. Trust in the character and promises of God. Sees the unseen spiritual realities. And finally, lives, at a, lives as aliens and strangers longing for home. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that there's hope for weary pilgrims. Lord, I thank you that uh, even when we can relate to this lady swimmer who got overwhelmed, Lord, I thank you that your grace comes to us through your word and beckons us to keep going. Lord, that even as we fall into the traps of the temporal, even when we lose sight on suffering, even when we forget about the future, that your grace and your kindness leads us to repentance and calls us to see reality the way we're to see it. And Lord, I thank you that that's the journey of the Christian life. But oh God, I pray this morning we would see that as a church, you're calling us, Lord, you're calling us to walk with you. You're calling us to journey with you by faith. And Lord, I pray we would see without faith it is impossible to please God. Lord, thank you that it's only a possibility through the grace of the new covenant of Jesus. And Lord, we praise you that even today in your providence, you're calling out to our lives to look to you and walk by faith. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.